0: the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. I really like the idea of growing tomatoes. So every year I plant a few plants. I'm glad that you can now just buy them individually. You used to have to plant six of them, which was always too many. Uh, And I was a little slow getting going this year, and they were a little slow getting going this year, partly because I planted them so late. And uh, once... They got going, which was around Christmas. Um, they didn't quite get the attention they needed, and so they suddenly exploded and suddenly I had this ex- this kind of crazy um, collection of branches growing all over the veggie garden. They kind of looked like some evil monster had taken over the veggie garden, and I was kind of pushing them out of the way and pruning them back. And in some ways today's gospel reading feels a bit like my tomatoes really. There's lots of interesting branches that could bear fruit if we wanted to explore it. And like my tomato plant, in some ways there's branches that get into the, in the way of the, of the fruit when it actually came time to pick the tomatoes. The ones on the outside were easy to get to but there was some buried deep in the heart of the tomato plant that you really had to fight to get anywhere near. And some of those branches that get in the way of our Gospel reading this morning are words, words that um, we either don't understand or kind of evoke in us a negative reaction. And one of those words is prune. On Tuesday when we talked about this reading, the reaction from those who were there was one of reserve. They didn't like the idea of pruning and they didn't like the idea of the dried branches and the fire. The word prune can make us feel uncomfortable, especially when it's applied to people. It doesn't have a really good feel about it. It feels a little judgmental and narrow. It feels like if you don't believe these things and if you don't act in this way, well, you're clearly a dried branch and you'll be pruned and you'll end up in the fire. And then we end up in a debate about who decides who gets pruned and who's a dried branch and who gets put in the fire. And us Christians don't have a particularly good record at agreeing on that kind of stuff. Well, no one does really look at any of the major religions. We're always disagreeing about who's good fruit and who's a good branch and who should be pruned and who should be burnt, sometimes literally. But pruning isn't a bad thing. The truth is that my tomato plant desperately needed somebody to prune it regularly. Like every day I should have been out there pruning the little buds that were coming off at the wrong places. And if I'd done that, I would not have had that evil monster that overran everything in my veggie garden. And I suspect that if I'd done that, I would have had a whole lot more fruit. But I didn't do that, so I had the evil monster. The Greek word that's used here for prune, uh, is actually more commonly translated as cleansed, and in fact is translated as cleansed in verse 3. So you may remember verse 3, it said, You are already cleansed through the word that I have spoken to you. That's kind of interesting given that everywhere else in that passage it's translated as pruned, because pruned actually makes more sense with the metaphor that Jesus is using. And so one could argue that it should more rightly be translated, You are already pruned. Through the word that I have spoken to you, you are already pruned. The pruning is something that is going on all the time, whether we are aware of it or not. I'll come back to that in a minute. A second word that uh, that might get in the way or might not is the word abide, which is a much nicer word, and I think we can relax into that one. But it's a really interesting word, especially the way that John uses it, especially here in this uh, last section. So it feels a bit early to be in the last section, but we are, in fact, in the last section of John. So we've had this last section starts with the washing of the feet at the Last Supper, and then uh, there's actually no Eucharist in John. He just kind of leaves that bit out. And uh, then we have Jesus' last block of teaching, which, as I've said before, is super important. If you want to know in a biography of that time what the worth of someone, the mana of someone, the honour of someone and whether you should follow that person or pay any attention to that person the last block of teaching was all important. So in John's Gospel, chapter 13 through to 17 is absolutely crucial. It's where John kind of lays out his argument. Everything before that is introduction then he lays out the argument about why Jesus is so important and why we should listen to his teaching, and then we have the crucifixion and resurrection. And the central theme through that last block of teaching is is abide. It's like the central vine that holds everything else together. I looked online what abide means, and it means, well, the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary defines it as to accept or bear someone or something bad or something unpleasant, to stay or live somewhere, or to remain or continue. I think another way of thinking about abide is being planted in, rooted in. Last year I decided the soil in my veggie garden wasn't particularly excellent, so uh, we keep getting some kind of bug that wipes out the tomato plants around the time they, they um they go red. They ripen. That's the word I was looking for. So I decided that maybe, uh, maybe the soil was to blame. So I dug out a whole lot of soil and put it somewhere else in the veggie garden. Put in new soil, and uh, planted the veggies, the uh, tomatoes and that, which I thought would make a difference. And it probably did. But at least they ripened before they died. So that was good. And I think for us. Uh, where we are planted. I think what this metaphor is all about is where we are planted. Are we planted in good soil or are we planted in... I mean, there wasn't anything particularly bad about the soil I used, but you know, like it wasn't as good as it could have been. What kind of soil are we planted in? And I think what John is saying here is that to abide in Jesus is to abide in the good soil of God rather than the not-so-good soil of our lives. Which brings us to the third word, which is love. Love is the descriptor for the good soil of God. If we read, uh, and we read that in today's first letter from John, the beginning of that passage we heard from the first letter of John began with Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So love. It's an important word. It's a big word. And it's got so many complex m- layers of meaning, especially in English, where, well, we only have one word for love, unlike other languages like Greek, which who have multiple words. And so we've kind of left with all these layers of meaning held in this one little word, love. And the other problem with love is that we can use it in so many different ways. As so I've talked about, well, as I've like vlogged from somebody else talking about it in the pew sheet. I love pizza, which really means that I love the way its complex layers of taste and smell and the complex layers of texture, feel in your mouth that you eat it, which really means I love the way I feel as I eat pizza. I don't actually love pizza. I love what pizza does for me. It makes me feel good. It's yummy. I could apply that to my tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I love growing tomatoes. Which really means I love the feeling of eating something that I've grown in my garden. There's a kind of sense of achievement there. I grew these tomatoes. And I love the taste of homegrown food. You know, somehow they taste better than the shop bought ones that are kind of grown at such a pace and forced ripen. They just don't have the flavour of the ones that are allowed to grow and ripen slowly in the garden. But actually when I use the word love in that sentence, I'm not talking about the tomatoes. I'm really talking about me and how I feel. That's the important thing there. Which, you know, it's okay when you're talking about pizza or my tomatoes. That I'm really just talking about me and what those tomatoes and the pizza does for me. The problem is when we use that word in the same way we're talking about God or other people. And unfortunately, that's exactly how we use that word sometimes when talking about other people and when talking about God. We're talking about how I feel when I'm in the presence of that other person. I really like how I feel when I'm with you. I enjoy the complex layers of excitement and joy and passion and happiness when I'm with you. But when that feeling of joy and passion and happiness kind of disappear, then then we say I'm no longer in love and I ditch you and I move on. Because it's all about me. It's not about the other person at all. It's all very shallow, really, isn't it? And it lacks any of the layers of commitment we find in Paul's great hymn to love in 1 Corinthians, or in what we just heard from John's first letter, which is a lot more hard and crunchy. The love that John and Paul are talking about isn't so much about how I feel. The love that they're talking about is a love that is focused on the other, which is committed to the other which is passionate about the other, that is willing to pay a price for the other, so that the other might grow, so that the other might have life. If we were to go back to last week's sermon, which I nearly preached again because it was still in this folder, we would have had a test. Who who thinks they've heard this sermon before? We heard about the good shepherd and the fact that the good shepherd always had to pay a price in the search for the lost sheep even if it was a little price, you always came back scratched and grazed and tired from a night of looking for the lost sheep. That's the kind of love we're talking about, a love that is willing to pay a price for the seeking out and the restoring. And that's what John is talking about, God's love, the love that is there for the other, not because God necessarily feels anything different being in our presence, but because God's love is an outgoing love. It is committed to the other. So if we were to go back to my tomatoes briefly, I love tomatoes like pizza, but I'm much more committed to my feelings around eating tomatoes and how good that makes makes me feel than I am to the tomatoes themselves. So I didn't actually spend a lot of time with the tomatoes doing what I should have been doing with the tomatoes because I allowed other things to get in the way. My love for the tomatoes was pretty shallow, but if I had really loved the tomatoes, I would have been out there every day pruning them, looking after them, making sure they were well watered, making sure they had the food they needed, making sure they were well cared for. But that wasn't the kind of love I had for the tomatoes, because I allowed other things like watching TV to get in the way. And so my love for them remained. I love the idea of growing tomatoes, and I like eating them when they happen to accidentally ripen, no thanks to me. Luckily for us, God's love is entirely different. John says in his letter that love starts with God. God is love. That love is the primary characteristic of God. And that the sign of God's presence and actions in the world are acts of love. That aim, And the aim of that love is to allow people to live. We live when we abide in God, when we are planted in the soil of God, when we are planted in love, self-giving love, love that looks to the other. In a few weeks' time, we're going to have Trinity Sunday, which is That joyous day when you get to try to explain the Trinity, which is, in the end, impossible because you can't explain the Trinity because, well, in the end, it's pretty difficult to understand. And one of the troubles with trying to explain the Trinity and trying to get us theology right is we miss one of the primary images at the heart of the Trinity, which is, in the heart of God, the three persons of the Trinity are held together by relationships of generosity and commitment and love. And through the mingling of Christ's divinity with our humanity in the Incarnation, and by the ascension of the fully human and fully divine Jesus Christ in the Godhead, Jesus leads the way for humanity to also enter into that relationship. We can't know that relationship fully in this life, but we can catch glimpses of it. We catch glimpses of it in the Eucharist where God bends down in love and meets us in the humble bread and wine, and where in some churches the priest, while they pour the water into the wine, will pray a prayer that talks about the mingling of the water in the wine being an image of the mingling of Christ's divinity with our humanity. The Eucharist, which also reminds us of the generosity shown by Jesus at every meal he ate with those declared beyond God's compassion. We catch glimpses of this relationship every time we glimpse generosity and commitment and love in other people. We glimpse the heart of God, which is generosity, commitment and love. But too often we miss those glimpses. We fail to see the life of the Trinity made present to us. We fail to notice the acts of love happening around us. We're too busy not being good enough. We're too busy being filled with guilt and remorse at the things we've done. We're too afraid of what might happen in this life and the life beyond. We're too distracted by ourselves, which takes us back to pruning. There is an aspect of our gospel which is about people, that is true. But in the end, that's God's decision, not ours. But the main part of the pruning image in John's Gospel that we heard today is actually about aspects of people. The dead branches are also our attitudes, our feelings of fear and guilt, our belief in a judgmental God that prevent us from abiding in, from being planted in, being alive in God. All those things that prevent us from entering into the life of the Trinity now. It is these things that John says we are being pruned of, of being cleansed of already. Last week we remembered the Battle of Gepa, which was an opportunity to not only remember the needless horror of what happened here, but to reflect on some of those who were caught up in the story. People like Rāwari Kuhurake. Henelie and Henelie People who reluctantly took up arms, and, but who refused to allow that to shape their abiding in love. And out of that wrote rules, the rules of engagement that said if we have to fight, let's put a, a boundary around the fighting, about who will be involved, involved in the fighting and who will not, and what will happen in the fighting. And they also, out of that, acted with compassion and generosity and courage and love after the battle to offer water to the dying Colonel Booth and to other injured British soldiers. Acts that I suspect most of us would have neither the courage or the compassion to repeat. Because I suspect, and I'm talking about myself here, that our branches of fear and self-preservation and maybe loathing would get in the way and they would need to be proved before we could act. Jesus finishes today's reading with, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Or, as one commentator says, If you all abide in me, and my words abide in you all, whatever you may resolve, require it, And it will come into into being for you all. This translation makes two things clear. This this prayer is not about our wishes, but it is about what we require to live. And it's not about our individual requirements, but it's about the requirements of the community. So, as we carry on and journey into this week... I wonder for us to live, to truly live, for us to truly glimpse the generosity and compassion and love at the heart of the Trinity, what is it that we require? What is it that we need to be pruned of so that we may be planted in the soil of God, both as a community here at St George's and as members of this community? What is it that we need to be pruned of, to let go of, that we may embrace life in its fullness? Spend a moment reflecting on that.